0: We don't know exactly where the term Americanitis started. In 1881, neurologist George Beard used Americanitis to diagnose our stressed out, eat on the go, grind lifestyle. In 1882, a medical journal claimed Americanitis was coined not by Beard, but by traveling British scientist who was shocked by the meaty diets we ate which were mostly cured pork, beef, and starches. Then in 1892, author Annie Payson Paul claimed it came from another traveling scientist, this time a German physician who was appalled by our overall health. Regardless of who started it, Americanitis was an oily insult, thrown around by foreigners who couldn't cope with the literal clouds from our smoked meats. And to be totally honest, we earned the reputation. According to the Cleveland Clinic, stomach cancer was the number one cancer in the nation, thanks to our love of cured meats. Our top diseases were arthritis, gastritis, and bronchitis. Our national anthem was a chorus of burps, farts, and grunts. London had its industrial fog, but America had its barbecue smog. According to The Atlantic, One Swedish visitor described Americans as being indifferent farmers. Quote, The grain fields, the meadows, the forest, the cattle, they're all treated with equal carelessness. We allow our cows to roam and graze wherever they wish, and we selected volume-based crops that would sprout like weeds, mostly to feed our meat. Oh, and we shot whatever flew past the farm for breakfast. John James Audubon once wrote about the flocks of passenger pigeons that would darken the Wisconsin sky like an eclipse. Fleshy, edible animals that were hunted by the millions for the table. The Eskimo Curlo was such a fatty bird, if you shot it out of the sky, it would hit the ground and leave a greasy smear. These birds were nicknamed Doughbirds, birds because hunting an Eskimo curlew was like shooting a hamburger tube. Then there was the unending supply of wild game that roamed our states. Bear, boar, deer, elk, caribou, turkey, sheep, bison, many of which had zero fear of man or guns. Meat in America was the easy mode of feeding a nation. And we like easy mode. Easy mode stuck with us. Easy mode is why more than one third of us pick fast food over cooking every day, according to the CDC. Easy mode is why food engineers and ad agencies build industries around selling us packaged trash. Easy mode is why one quarter of all Americans will experience a major digestive disease like ulcers or IBS. And a third of us already take acids for acid reflux. Americanitis didn't die off with a dope bird. It just rebranded itself as the McChicken and the KFC snacker. You're listening to The Re-Engineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment. All the myths, lies, and misconceptions we sell ourselves. Then, we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Tyler the extrovert.
1: And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no duh on the internet.
0: There are a few problems that come with a whole country
1: living life
0: on easy mode for so long. We have a persistent myth in America that we get healthier as science and medicine progress, but we'll discover today that simply isn't true. We tell unhealthy people to stay away from McDonald's, the same way we can laugh at pineers for eating ham at every meal. But what if food cravings, willpower, and even your mood are determined by the quality of your gut bacteria? What if those bacteria are telling you to order a Big Mac? Now, we have a very special guest today on The Reengineered You, and 156 weeks later and thousands of listeners later, we have um, someone that we've kind of been courting to be on the show. Her name's Amanda Sick, and I'm going to do a little intro for Amanda. Amanda's a graduate from University of Oregon with a background in advertising, communications, and graphic design. Aside from her love for design, she has a passion for health and wellness. Amanda has written a recipe ebook entitled Simply Sweet, which is full of healthy treats made from whole food, plant-based ingredients. She uses her online platforms to encourage others to make changes towards a healthier lifestyle, while using her recipes as a way to show people how enjoyable healthy eating can be. The positive results she has experienced through changes with her own diet, fitness, and mindset is what drives her to share her knowledge with others. Amanda's primary goal is to empower as many people as possible, to take their health in their own hands so good morning amanda
2: good morning thank you guys for having me i'm excited to be here
1: we're excited (laughs) to talk about weird weird stuff with you (laughs) yes for sure
0: (laughs) joe and i have both been on our health uh we call it joe battles yeah which Uh, way
1: go ahead joe vacillating between uh, trying to make healthier habits and then just like shame-eating footlongs of meat. So, um,
0: <laughs> We've well, we, we met and we were on deathbeds, Amanda. We both have been as much as, I would say, what, 50, 60 pounds overweight and tipping on the obesity chart to uh, boxing shape and then up yeah. and down. <laughs> <So> <laughs> well, relatively... it's, a, it's a
2: journey. It's a process. So, <laughs> well,
0: c- Tell me about your book, Simply Sweet.
2: Yeah, so... Um, basically it's, it has about 50 or so recipes in there. Um, everything is made with whole food, plant-based ingredients. It's all vegan and gluten-free and refined sugar-free. Um, I've always had a big sweet tooth because I grew up eating processed sugar and junk and all that stuff. So I think I've, I've always had a sweet tooth, but when I started making changes in my diet, I started experimenting more in the kitchen and, um, trying to figure out, Healthier ways to make things that I still enjoyed eating and things that I grew up eating, but just healthier versions of that. So, um, I decided to put together a book of recipes that all taste really good. And I like showing people that, um, you know, you can still eat healthy while still enjoying what you're eating. Like, you don't have to, you know, deprive yourself or restrict yourself and avoid eating things like cookies and cupcakes and, you know, things that you traditionally would think are really bad for you, but they're actually, you know, there's ways to make them with very simple ingredients that are nourishing to the body, not only, um, as well as, you know, tasting good too.
0: What was the wake up call for you that you wanted to just change your, your diet?
2: Yeah. So it didn't happen overnight, but, um, I would say, like I mentioned, I grew up eating, you know, the standard American diet of ultra processed food for many years. And, um, by the time I got to college, I started dealing with, uh, really severe acne, like out of the blue. And I was, um, along with some other issues too, like acid reflux and migraines and headaches and, um, stomach aches and just little things here and there. But the main thing that really caught my attention and, um, made me start questioning things that, you know, I was putting into my body was my skin. Um, I started developing severe acne and, um, I tried all these topical creams and soaps and ointments and all this stuff and nothing was helping. If anything, it was probably just making it worse. And um, I went to the doctor at the time and of course, you know, their only suggestion was I could go on hormonal birth control uh, or I could go on a strong antibiotic. And I left that appointment and I just kind of was trying to weigh my options and um, luckily, I decided to not go on either one of those pills. Um, I decided to start researching and trying to get to the the root cause of the issue, because um, I I grew up, you know, watching my family members and stuff struggle with uh, health issues and just being on medications and kind of thinking that, you know, not seeing, you know, their their issues really improve, and so I kind of was questioning whether it was worth it to, for me to go on these medications and. Um so I decided to go the more natural route and I started researching into gut health and um just the link between that and skin health and overall health and how important you know what we eat and what we put into our bodies every day um how important it is for our overall health and well-being physical and mental health and um so yeah that was really what drove me um to start making changes here and there and it started out pretty slow like I started cutting out certain things and experimenting with my body and it wasn't an overnight change for sure. I didn't go from eating McDonald's to kale salads. So um, <laughs> it was. So it definitely took some time and I cut out things here and there and then um, kind of saw what worked and what didn't. I started incorporating juicing. That was a big thing. I got a juicer and started juicing a lot and making smoothies um, and eating more raw foods and that helped a lot too. Um, so yeah, I, I really wanted to get to the root cause of the issue, which I realized was stemming from my gut health ultimately because... Um, gut health is so huge for overall health. And, um, so yeah, that's kind of what drove me to initially start making drastic changes in my diet.
0: That's interesting. I I've gone through my own challenges with health and one of them I've had, and I really have a question for you about this is I quit drinking. And for me, socially, it was very difficult, um, to not hang out with my same friends. I felt like ostracized by my friend group, (laughs) Now, yeah. <laughs> eating is so much, I mean, love is food, right? I mean, it really yes. is. So what was the pressure like, peer pressure from your friends? Did they treat you like something was wrong with you because you wanted to be a vegan and were they <laughs> teased and did it make you uncomfortable? How did you power through that?
2: Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say anyone was really like, they were, you know, friends and family were definitely confused and like surprised with what I was doing, especially when I actually went vegan and like... Um, family members i had you know of course you always get the like well where are you gonna get your protein and like people always are (laughs) concerned about that all of a sudden when you know um and so but no i mean yeah it was i think at first it was more difficult like going out to eat with friends and family and stuff and trying to find a place that i could actually eat at and um kind of just explaining why i'm doing why why i was doing what i was doing and making these changes and um but overall, I mean, I feel like they were still supportive and like now it's been, you know, fast forward five years. And so they know, you know, the lifestyle that I live and they totally respect it and which is good. And I've also, you know, gotten some of my friends and family to make small changes, not go, you know, whole food, plant based vegan or anything like that. But um, my brother and stuff, I've some other people, too. I've gotten to make some changes um, towards eating healthier, which is great.
0: Um, She's forming her own cult, Joe. Like
2: <laughs> yes, Exactly. No, that's
0: how, this how ignorant i was i or uneducated uninformed i was I, the ufc fighters mac danzig was a really good up-and-coming fighter and, and he was very proud of being a vegan and he would get injured a lot and so i just thought well if he just ate some more steaks yeah he's he'd got no fine. protein <laughs> <laughs> so joe it wasn't the men who are brazilian jiu-jitsu no and, uh, nothing to trying to break his bones it's the fact he's not eating pork. Lack chops. of protein,
2: yes, <laughs> yeah, that must be it.
1: He's not Joe Roganing his way through a, exactly. a meat line. <laughs> My experience with like trying to eat vegan or healthier with f- sweets is: um, I went on to Healthline and I went on to a couple of other like really good sources, and I was looking for um, ways to eat like desserts. And literally, it says that like if you're battling blood pressure, or like you're trying to get low-calorie stuff, or just go vegan, it, it actually recommends like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Like that's the best it oh, can wow. offer. <laughs> it's like it's like here's some uh, you know, as a toast, dessert, some whole food. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Wow. Toast some whole food breads and and try to have some peanut butter and jelly. So yeah, that's um, I
2: wouldn't consider that a dessert, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, yeah, your your book the pictures are incredible the Thank you. the food all looks delicious i tried to make the carrot cake and it turned out really good like it was very flavorful i did not stick or use the anti stick for the pan correctly and oh, yeah. i also used some agave so like i ended up with basically just like carrot cake pudding in this pan Oh, um, no. <laughs> but I did sit there with a spoon and eat it all. So, like, that's, that <laughs> did happen. Go. But <laughs> it was incredible. But it tastes t- good. And, it tastes good. <laughs> it didn't kill you, Joe. Right, exactly. I'm still here. But okay. yeah, my, my fiancé and I just sort of enjoyed that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> we've, awesome. got
0: the, we've got the links to all of Amanda's stuff. Um, and, and we want you to connect with her. She's got my plant, plantcreations.com and her Instagram handle. She shares a lot, a lot of free information that's healthy and, and valuable. I do want to ask you this because we are a a show of doers. Um, all of our listeners are, you know, very educated and write books and do stuff. What would you, how do you encourage someone to get started and and to actually write a book and, and to finish it, to see it all the way through?
2: Mm, That's a good question. Um, yeah, I think just having something that you're passionate about is key because I think that's what's going to drive you to want to just share your knowledge with people and you know what your you know the message helps you get your message out to people in a more genuine way and like um like at the beginning of the book I have a little like intro of you know my like a brief summary of my story and like why I got into what I was doing and basically when I changed my diet, it's, it really sparked my passion for plant-based food and cooking and just creating recipes and sharing those with others. And so I thought the best way, one of the best ways to do that would be to create a book to share with others and um, of some of my favorite recipes. And I had the idea in my head for a while that I wanted to make it. Like I knew I wanted to write a book and um, I really have started enjoying food photography too. So I know I wanted to incorporate that and use my own photos in the book and put that together um, into something that I could share with others and but I it's it's not like I thought one day oh I'm gonna write a book and I just did it like it was kind of in the back of my mind for a while that I wanted to do it and it just eventually I was like you know what I need to just start and just you know start drafting up ideas and start um, just you know start with you know writing out the recipes that I want to include in there and just you know drafting a rough rough idea and it took it took quite a while until it was actually finished but Um, I think, yeah, just starting with an idea and using your, your passions to kind of drive you and motivate you to, um, just start and, you know, you do work on it a little bit each day and eventually you'll, you'll have a finished product to share with others.
0: That's great. You know, Joe and I train, um, we teach and train public speaking and we were just talking about this the other day. We did an episode about Gandhi and believe it or not, Gandhi is an attorney, but he was deathly afraid of public speaking. Which is a problem if you're an attorney and you're trying to change a nation. Yes, but, that would be.
2: <laughs>
0: but if you have a strong cause and you really believe in what you're talking about, it's so important that you want to tell people. It doesn't really matter what it is, if it's that important to you, you get over that nervousness. And it's. But I think mm-hmm. a lot of people try to do things that they're not. They think is going to interest others, as opposed to things they're genuinely interested in.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's huge. Cause, um, I mean, honestly, like I never thought even two three years ago i wouldn't i wouldn't think that i would be you know going on podcasts and sharing stuff online and making the content that i do and kind of like um but it's i think it is my passion that drives me to do so and like it's genuinely stuff that i like the stuff that i'm talking about is stuff that i'm genuinely interested in and care about and just really want to reach as many people as i can um so yeah that's definitely that's very important for people to you know find what what they're passionate about
1: well i think that's what Brings us together most days for this podcast is we have some interesting, strange things that we want to get the message out on, and we can't shut up, so that that <laughs> seems to help. You mentioned processed meats. Do you do you mind if we we start talking about like the 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 way America has sort of set up its diet as a whole? Um, yeah. I, I, okay. It. I've got a really weird weird thought or, or way to look at this, which is have you ever sort of like um, been to somebody's house for the first time like a friend invites you over and you kind of see like all of the clutter all of the things that are sort of like pushed back like you it's it may not be messy but like you start to get a sense of like this is where they came from yeah you, yeah like all the knickknacks on their shelf like like you you can recognize oh okay you know they they came from you know the south or they 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 have a a certain heritage behind them I think started reading into how americans ate and it gave me that same sense but for food like if if you have a a, another country like italy you you rely a lot on like you know sun-dried tomatoes and like heavy acids to preserve your food and if you come from like a country that has like uh, a lot of um salt mines or if you come from a country that has like a, a lot of like um you know cured vegetables like you go to korea you get you know pickled vegetables a lot you know this this process where they have like mastered pickling and that everything is is a you know a, a buried in the ground in a pot i realized how bad our habits are from the very start of like our our country our, our sort of food heritage by reading how we would just go out and shoot wild game everywhere like the the um the computer game in school, Oregon Trail. I didn't realize that was like true to form that like there's a mini game of hunting where you just go out with a gun and you shoot meat until it piles up and you can't possibly take it all back. That is actually like pretty close to the historical records of what we've done. (laughs) One of the better metrics that I found, like I, I went digging. I wanted to look at how much meat we ate. But the problem with this is that shipping records for trains are the first time we actually knew how much meat we were eating. Um, if you go back to, like, the early 1900s, before that we didn't keep any sort of accurate measure. We just knew that there were so many birds that would darken the sky, so many, like, wild game wandering by that you could literally just walk outside of your cabin and shoot a buffalo. Like, there, there we didn't really try to keep track because we were basically walking through Old Country Buffet every day and just picking up meat off the ground. <laughs> And then shipping records, it, it, when they started keeping track of livestock that was being loaded onto cars, that's when we actually got a sense that, like, oh, we are eating almost exactly twice as much beef as an Englishman, or twice as much meat—about uh, 175 pounds of meat per year per day or, or per person per year—which is around double today. Sort of in the in the development of you becoming vegan, did you look back and and think about? you know, how much meat you had eaten? Like, like was there was there sort of like a, a shock and awe moment where you're like, that might have been too much?
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. I still to this day kind of look back at what I ate for so many years and not just the meat, but mainly just like the ultra processed stuff and like, um, but yeah, I look back and yeah, I do. Yeah, for sure. It was, I never, I never thought I would go vegan. Like I never thought I would go vegetarian or vegan or any of that. Like I've definitely done a complete 180 with my diet and um, I mean it's been five years now so I'm like so used to it but um, at the time like I even because I first went vegetarian um, and even then like I had no intention of going vegan and like um, but it just kind of that's just kind of how it happened and um, but yeah for sure I I remember (laughs) um, at the time with my when I went vegetarian I was even like with my roommate at the time we were doing it together and she i told her i was like i don't know like i i don't think i can stop eating chicken and all this stuff like (laughs) it was something i ate every single day and like it's um yeah so it's been pretty crazy to think how drastically i've changed my diet and like how much but yeah as it definitely is true like as a society especially with like the old not just meat but like ultra processed meat and like the fast food and stuff it's on every corner so it's like It's pretty crazy if you really think about how much we really eat as a society.
0: What's that old thing, Joe, too? They've said for years you have six pounds of unprocessed meat in our stomachs or something. That's always (laughs) kind of scary to think about that. That's Isn't (laughs) that disgusting? Like rotten acid. I mean, uh,
1: some of us more, right? (laughs) Well, I I think that's it, is it? It it depends on who you are, where you grew up. Like, like, I think that that has been largely disproven, except for the fact that you at any given moment might actually have a huge amount of meat, you know, processing slowly through your body. (laughs) Um, And I think also, Todd, when was the first time you were taught that, like, you needed protein for every meal? Like, was that that, because for me, that goes back to like
0: when I was a baby around the house.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's so it's yeah, Yeah, the
2: protein thing is just so ingrained into our brains. Like, yeah. Protein this, protein that, like protein, not just meat, but just like protein powders and supplements and bars. It's like everything that, I don't know, it's crazy. Like, yes, obviously we need protein, but it's definitely um, overhyped. And like the thing with plant-based and vegan and that thing with protein, it's like all protein does originate from plants. So like the animals are eating the plants and then, you know, people are eating the animals. So basically, in my case, I'm just going straight to the plants and eating the plants so really with protein all you, you really need is the you know the nine essential amino acids which are the building blocks for building blocks for protein and so as as long as you're getting in a wide variety of plant-based foods and you know eating different things every week like you're going to be fine I mean as long as you're eating enough so
0: well growing up in the 70s and 80s my you know my mom I was raised by a single mom and that's one of the excuses, but. I mean, fish sticks and macaroni and cheese were all I ate. I'm amazed I'm as <laughs> tall as I am. And now, up in Seattle, I had Airbnb for years, and I had a lot of Europeans stay with me, and they always said the same thing about our food, which always shocked me, and I, I didn't even think about it until you know preparing for the show with Amanda. Um, they all said that in, where they live, it's it's vegetables and healthy food. Whole foods are cheaper, and then junk food is more expensive, but in America, it's flip-flopped. So, for some yeah. reason, our shit food, yeah. it's just so available and uh-huh. cheap. So, we just we just devour it, you know.
2: Yeah, it's so cheap. It's convenient and it's addicting. So, it's um, no wonder, you know, we're so hooked on it as a society.
1: I, I think that it's both cheap and encouraged for... I mean, like, like we get a get-out-of-jail-free card at every holiday for eating terrible meats. Like... <laughs> If it's Christmas, I will just be like, yeah, I'm allowed to eat an entire summer sausage myself. That's it's it's the it's a holiday. It's yeah. <laughs> holiday, yeah. Or every holiday we Yeah, do exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Todd, do you think that they emotionally felt better like like if you come from a culture where you you eat veggies all the time or if you you go with the the inverse food pyramid where it's it's mostly a green pyramid with a little bit of meat at the top, do do you feel better like
0: they are healthier,
1: happier, thinner, and
0: they have more energy. And I think that's the thing, too. I, I think um, we're associating, at least I have always associated, the things that are going on in our stomach are not just um, there. It affects the whole rest of our body. It affects our brains. It affects our memory. Um, and they're learning more and more, but this, they've been studying this for years, and it's, it's, it's getting, um, people are getting more informed on it, that it's not just going to your waist and how you feel and how much you weigh.
2: Yeah, and it's it's like seventy to eighty percent, I believe, of the immune system like originates from the gut too. So like and I think it's like ninety percent or so of serotonin is produced in the gut. So uh yeah, it definitely affects the whole body for sure.
0: Well, I have a gut story for you that you are not going to believe. <laughs> and I'm ready for it. Okay. Well it started in in, in eighteen twenty two and there's it's called it's upper peninsula in michigan there's an island called mackinac island and i've been to it it's, it's a very cool place there's no bridges to it you have to even today to get to it you have to go by ferry um but there are no vehicles today even allowed on there so when you go there you either you ride a horse or you ride a bike so it's really kind of a cool place so if you guys ever get a chance and it's absolutely gorgeous it, it's you know it's it's between canada and america it's america
1: I'll take but, the horse because I know that I'll <laughs> eat it at the end of that ride versus the bicycle.
0: But this was 19, it was 1822, and there's Alexis St. Martin, and he was a fur trader. And he had his musket with him for hunting, and there was a terrible accident. It went off, and it shot him through the stomach. And it shot him clean through to the fact that they say that what he ate that day had fallen out beside him. <laughs> Now he was in a lot of pain. I mean anyone's here to gut shot or being shot in the stomach is supposed to be most, of the most painful things. that in childbirth, right? But to his luck, there was a physician, a very educated physician right there, William Beaumont. So William Beaumont took him in and started to heal him and try to study him. So this was the founder of um, modern day um, digestive health, and he started to study he took this alexis st martin in and he started doing experiments on him and this is where it gets really weird okay he started tying strings to different kinds of food making alexis st martin eat them and then yanked them back out and study them
1: it was a fistula in his in his stomach that he was feeding these things through that it, the gut shot had never healed and it formed uh, what's called a fistula, which means that the, the tissue kind of like knit back together with a hole. So oh. you could you could literally stand from the outside of him, look through the hole and, and see into his stomach and the digestive acids moving. Oh, my
2: God.
0: So it wasn't through the throat. It was
1: just through the. How did he not a
0: nice die visual. of infection? How did he not die of infection?
1: It's it it the tissue around the hole because it had sealed it. It. I mean, like, blind, blind luck. The answer is he absolutely should have died from infection. <laughs> Million to one shot that um, he was actually able to heal from it. But but when he healed... You can do that with uh, cows, by the way. There are, there are cow farms where they intentionally create fistulas into their digestive tract. And you can see pictures of these cows with, like, cork holes on the side of their body oh where they, they use it to, you know, study and, and release compactions and things. So this, this poor man was just like a trash can with a, a lid that like you can peek <laughs> inside.
0: <laughs> so poor, poor Boobie, um, well, um, St. Martin couldn't, he couldn't fur trade anymore. So he actually went and became a farmhand at, with, uh, Bumont, started to work on his property. And so he studied, like you, like Joe explained this television out of his side and he could actually see, um, certain emotions like anger or sadness, depression, which I'm sure he had all the time going on with different chemical changes in his stomach. He could actually visualize these. He also started to take out parts of the the fluid and then he started to see how acid breaks down food in the body. So this was a, for years, a a really ahead of its time study.
1: I don't, okay, so if you feed him too much, like you cram in too much meat through that um, fistula suddenly he becomes like depressed or angry i i would imagine part, some of that depression comes from just having a hole in his his body yeah but. that would suck <laughs>
0: but i'm sure he had his good days i mean back in the day they're playing cards or you know what i mean <laughs> whatever you did for entertainment in in
1: 1830 right. you know
0: now this is the funny this is this is actually not that funny but um uh, eventually <laughs> uh saint martin runs away he runs away to canada Right? Because I'm sure he's had enough of this nonsense. Right? This job, he's an indentured servant at this point. Okay. He's like, a, you know, a, a lab, a mouse in a lab, but he's a grown man. He runs away to Canada. Well, this fucking doctor goes and gets him, guys. He goes oh, to God. Canada and says, What the hell do you think you're going? And takes him back to his farm and tortures him some
1: more.
2: Oh, my wow. God.
0: <laughs> Talk about a shit. You think your job sucks,
1: you know. <laughs> It's like, I have to make you depressed with more meats. Come back. like you have got so much more to do. But well, that, okay. Does that, that shouldn't be a huge surprise to me. Like knowing that you cram, I mean, like it, it's gotta be faster putting food directly into the organ rather than having to wait and eat. Cause I, I have a good 20 minutes after I eat Subway before I feel bad about myself, but is there a medical basis for this? Like, the the idea that you know you you put the wrong type of food into your stomach and it it makes you depressed or or you know makes you feel different.
0: But that is true, though. I think I think just on what I've experienced from dieting, um, we go through streaks of when when I eat well, I feel better, and when I start eating really really good food, and I do it consistently, and I don't mean like kinda, you know, Amanda's really hit the nail on the head with not trying to do too much at once you know not make it so not set yourself up to fail but do one meal at a time or one day at a time yeah you do string. um i
2: was just gonna say yeah small changes are huge because um i feel like if you're it's not very sustainable to try to like expect yourself to just make a you know 180 change overnight and go from eating because that's not i mean your body is if your body's so used to eating a certain way like like I was, like fast food and like processed stuff and refined sugars, like you're not going to, first you're not going to enjoy the taste of the foods you're trying to eat. If you switch to like whole foods, you're not going to, your body, your brain's not going to like that. Your taste buds aren't going to like that. So, um, and then you're just going to like, if you try to just drastically switch and then, you know, you're going to still be craving all those other foods and you're probably just going to go binge and eat, you know, and just give up. Like for most people, it's it's small changes here and there that definitely are going to be more sustainable in the long term.
0: And I think it is chemical because I watch a lot of those shows, like the six hundred pound people and stuff, and they they talk about their fast food addictions, how mm-hmm. how the dopamine they get from the cheese on um, you know on, on Big Macs and stuff that they just crave those so much, it's all, almost like a drug addict would.
2: Yeah, you, it's like a drug. Crave sure. heroin. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then when you do eat well, you do feel you feel more active and you do more and you get moving and that's that can be contagious too
2: for sure yeah it's food is definitely a drug and especially sugar like I've heard it's sugar can be more addictive than cocaine and like uh it's crazy because it's such a like um it's such a common drug like food and sugar and um fast food and all that because you really think like it's so common and it's so normalized but it really is if you think about it like it does make you addicted and it changes your brain chemistry and it you know it causes a lot of issues so
1: thank you Todd for uh the what you said the you eat better you start feeling better like you emotionally feel more picked up i was trying to find a way to put that in context with st martin the idea that this poor bastard was being fed intentionally the wrong types of foods to feel good and he's already a trapper so like this man is used to meat so like <laughs> the idea that I mean like like that is almost like going to a prison of meat where this doctor is gonna feed you the wrong stuff intentionally forever. I would try to escape to Canada too. Like you, yeah. you never <laughs> get that moment where you have a good breakfast that is like healthy and hearty and like gets you, you know, feeling excited and motivated. And this man never got that because a doctor was like poking burger yeah. into his, his stomach hole.
0: <laughs> and we should we should be we should be grateful for Dr. Douche, but course he's bringing his doctor buddies around too and making you know what i mean that's kind of demeaning right you're a human being right <laughs> come by look
1: at what i got hey
0: take up lift your robe boy you know
1: <laughs> well can i bore you with the the messenger system like when we talk about food being an addiction like the, what is actually happening in your gut to to make this messaging system as addictive as possible Please. so there's There are, um, like, gut bacteria, there are different types for different types of foods, which is something that is kind of blowing my mind. There are type of bacteria that feed better off of high sugars, and there are types of bacteria that feed better off of cheeses. I first heard about this, um, Crack.com started putting out articles that were all very goofy, but they were following sort of, like, bacteria news... And they were like, hey, here's a, another bacteria that makes you crave cheeses more often when you eat a lot of cheese. Um, so whatever, whatever your, uh, your big craving is, it will oftentimes basically be catered to these microbes. And the way they work, the, way, the, the insidious part of the way they sort of like message back and forth, they travel with, um, well, they, they secrete a substance uh, that is called a messenger molecule, and it can travel with blood vessels to the brain. So that's like the first way they message you to eat more cheese or sugar or meat in this case. Um, microbes inside the gut will sort of go up to the, the gut lining. So like you, you imagine a microbe swimming around in sort of like this, you know, cocktail of Doritos and meat <laughs> if you're me. Or, um, you know, vegan food and, and <laughs> vegan sweets if you're Amanda. And these little microbes will go up to the cell wall in the lining of the gut. And they will walk up to a fleshy cell lever and pull it. Uh, And this is sort of like a receptor. And it stimulates the vagal nerve. The vagal nerve runs from your stomach up to your brain. So if you'd imagine, it's kind of like those old tin horns people used to shout into on steamer ships. Like, like, you know, more coal, five degrees to the right, aft rudder, that kind of stuff. These microbes are just, like, going up to the, the messenger system in your stomach, which has all these neurons, so it's like our second brain, and they're telling your brain, we'd like some more sugar, cheese, and meats, please. <laughs> <laughs> like, send send another, yeah, uh, craft food snacker uh, to us. Um, and these microbes can also subtly change our hormone levels, our immune cells, our, our inflammation levels. These are all less direct than the the horn phone that is your vagal nerve system. Um Joe, I can I gotta just,
0: stop you. I could genuinely tell yeah, go that, ahead. I can genuinely tell that a man has enjoyed this. You have found a food nerd to hang out with now. you. <laughs> <congratulations. laughs> <laughs> I was ready to kang myself and you guys are looking at having the well, fun.
2: Well I like the your analog. analogies <laughs> you're giving. It's a good visual. <laughs> What's happening?
1: Yeah. I, I, I was the more I sort of read into this, <laughs> it, it validated all those old weird cracked articles I read. And it it also it seems so more concise than it used to be. Like, like 10 years ago, this stuff was not pulled together like it is in research, but now they're looking at, you know, um, irritable bowel syndrome being connected to depression. And, and the idea that if you're on the autism spectrum, you have a higher likelihood of having digestive problems. And if you have Parkinson's, you're more prone to constipation and like.
0: Well, well and how, let's talk about personally, Joe, I, I've had my problems with acid reflux where I haven't been able to sleep for, I don't know, a year. I mean without waking up and puking up this yeah it's yeah terrible. i don't it's horrible
2: not to cut you off but i i that's one of the things i dealt with when I was actually in high school even i was on um I, I would eat dinner and then i would soon after maybe 20 30 minutes later i'd start coughing and coughing and I would throw up and how it would kept happening and Isn't like,
0: that the horrible that acid yeah
2: it's wow. horrible it's a yeah thing. and i was on yeah. I was on pills like prescription strength and acids for it and um I, I was on those for a few years and then once I got to college and once I, I was still taking them like probably like first year of college and then I was kind of, as I started to change my diet, I just realized I no longer felt like I needed them. Um, and so that, but that was a huge thing that I dealt with too was acid reflux.
1: Acid reflux, um, I, I have GERD here and I still take a meprazole for it. And it's, it's one of those things where I can definitely tell a difference if I'm eating I mean, there's a lot of food that we um, – that are processed that will stimulate literally acid production. Like it, it will it, – it, so it, it's it's so hard to sort of unwind these things, to be reading about this and be like, okay, here are all these bacteria that benefit from me eating the worst things possible. And when you stop doing that, if you go on a vegan diet or if you just go on a diet that has less of the things that these negative bacteria want – Literally, they die off, like, like the numbers of those bacteria reduce in your stomach. You'll crave it more early on because you still have bacteria present that literally want more sugar, meats, and cheese. Mm-hmm. And slowly as you change the biome in your stomach, the, the sort of jungle in your gut, as the, the wrong kinds of bacteria slowly die off and the right kinds of bacteria slowly come back, your craving system changes. And I will, we will talk about an incredible study involving mice and like changing their gut bacteria almost cruelly um, to figure this out. Um, But first I want to talk about, if Todd's willing, why we are kind of unlikely to adopt this model in, you know, as a, as a country, because I would prefer everybody read Amanda's book and just realize that they should be making their own food and doing it healthy but that is absolutely not what's going to happen because of the way advertisers have twisted this.
0: Well, I don't know if Amanda's probably not told you this Joe, but she is a, a world famous dog mom. <laughs> she has the cutest <laughs> little dog named Bear. What is what is Bear?
2: He's a Pomeranian. He's a 12 he's a he's a 12-year-old Pomeranian. I've had him since he was 2 months old. He's my little buddy.
0: So you had she said I'm just a kiddo, he's the cutest dog <laughs> in the world. He's a little chihuahua, a little chewbacca looking dude. <laughs> uh,
1: chihuahua? Talk <laughs> <laughs> to uh, Rob. Uh, Rob had but, a Pomeranian. We love Pomeranians. Well,
0: I have to ask this, man. The reason I bring up you, your buddy Bear, yes. your partner Bear, is do you think your love of animals has any connection to being a vegan?
2: Oh, for sure. That's um that's ultimately why. I first went vegan. So I guess I should—I didn't mention this earlier, but I always like to make the distinction that vegan isn't, you know, the same thing as healthy because um, you can still be vegan technically and be living off of like Oreos and potato chips and Beyond Burgers and all this junk food. Um, and so when I first went vegan, I was still consuming. I was eating healthier for sure, but I was still eating a lot of like vegan products and like processed food um, for the first little bit of that, like probably six months, maybe up to a year or so. Um, and then I kind of transition more to a whole food plant-based, still vegan, but whole food plant-based diet. Um, yeah, I just like to make that distinction because I will say I'm, am vegan for the animals and for the ethical reasons. Um, but I'm eat a whole food plant-based diet for health and, um, because I feel like, you know, there's a difference between, like I said, you can be vegan and be eating Oreos and potato chips and all this stuff that's really not healthy, um.
0: Well, too, i I studied this a little bit, and I was watching the different shows about fast food vegan food, and there's this is right on what we're talking about. They put so much stuff on this, so many weird stuff on these. The vegan food Joe, becomes unhealthy. Yes, <laughs> it's less healthy than the McDonald's. Yes, food, exactly. Everyone, everyone, thinks, oh, I'm a vegan because I'm eating this. Well, right, it's like true. you can now you
2: can go to like Burger King and get an Impossible burger and think like oh i'm being healthier because it's vegan like no like no <laughs> nice try
0: if you're eating the buffalo wild Wings, it's bad for you period right yeah exactly
1: <laughs> now, I, well, I bought a box of vegan donuts and i tried to tell uh, my fiance i'm like this is me at peak performance <laughs> as i eat just a huge slurry of donuts
2: oh.
0: well this This is really weird because, uh, you know, we're doing stuff for this show and and we're looking at TikTok. TikTok, you know, the social media platform. And they're paying all these influencers influencers, and we're gonna connect the links so you can follow this in the show and watch these. And to me, they're these people I've never heard of but they've got thousands, hundreds of thousands and millions of followers that if they eat Dunkin' Donuts or go buy coffee at Dunkin' Donuts, I watch these commercials and, and to me they were so friggin' corny.
2: Peppermint, the mocha, signature latte. Mobile order for Meredith, please. I got it. Rewards members can redeem in the Dunkin' app until December 12th. I think I need another one. <laughs> I have to go back and try the toasted white chocolate signature
0: latte. They almost reminded me of the <laughs> olden days. They just were so, uh, just salesy and silly and stupid and not in a good way. Remind me of the Power Rangers. Just real, <laughs> um, what did you guys think of these commercials? <laughs>
2: Hello you guys, it's Charlie and today I'm going to be showing you how I make my coffee at home. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> then I take some Dunkin' coffee grounds and I fill up this little thing. That- and then we put our coffee grounds away. This is what I use, it's Dunkin' obviously. And normally I put a little bit of caramel in it, but I ran out, so. Oh, so bad, yeah. I don't see how they think, I, I don't see how that works to, you know. Yeah, just very cringeworthy and just cheesy and Yeah. <laughs>
1: I think that we we did an episode once on like um, adding people to your Dunbar number. The idea that you you watch enough social media or you read about one person, like like following celebrities, that person becomes a friend of yours, and they they take up a place in like your your sphere of how many people you can hold in your head. The the Dunbar's number. That's what I thought about. Is like these TikTokers. I I was cringing. I could not watch it. It was just. <laughs> Like a teenage girl dancing around with a a big Dunkin' Donuts thing in her hand, like a, a thing of coffee, and I was like, "Who? How does she have a hundred and eleven million followers?" But it's like, oh, she's a, she's their friend, and,
0: and that's kind of what like- I thought. It was kind of this like kind of sexy stripper, but then she's eating Doritos and playing real corny games <laughs> that you'd play if I guess if you were if you were four years old in preschool, and I just think. Who would dedicate this much of their time or go buy whatever she's wearing?
2: Right. Drinking, Who sees eating? that? Who sees that and's like, wow, I really, I'm going to go get some Doritos now. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's just silly. Yeah.
1: Let's her hope her other non-paid content must be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying, Todd, if you were younger, that wouldn't work on you? The idea that... What, okay, who would uh, pretty work,
0: girls you know, have always worked on me, Joe? You know, I'm, pretty yeah. I'm, a, I'm a
1: simpleton. You know,
0: so I, I'm not a good example.
1: I'm an outlier on that. Okay, yeah, I'm starting to. I'm starting to wonder if, like, who in my youth did I follow in like social media or or in any media I was consuming, and if they said go, you know, like, they're not overtly doing it like a commercial. Sometimes they're just holding it up and saying that you know, like you know, me having my morning coffee or something. So I, I think it might just be,
0: well, I can tell you though, there was in the, in the eighties when Michael Jackson started, started uh, promoting Pepsi, they they went from like a billion in sales to five billion in sales. It was wow. literally shocking. So the whole world <laughs> started drinking because Michael Jackson moonwalked with his one glove. And we were simpletons back then, though. We didn't have as many people to follow. Right. <laughs> we just that, yeah, it really must. I
2: mean, it, even with social media influencers, it must work to some extent because, I mean, they wouldn't pay these people as much as they do to promote their products if it didn't work, so...
0: That's a great point, right? Yeah. They know exactly where they're
2: going. Yeah. And even if it doesn't work instantly, like you don't go out and run and get some Doritos or something like or Dunkin Donuts, like I think it subconsciously just goes in back in the back of your mind. And you're just like the next time you're at the store, you see Doritos and you just end up buying them. Maybe I don't know.
0: Well, and I was in the car business. It's funny you say that, man. I was in the car business for many years, and and Pontiac, which is it was a General Motors, one brand, one of their branches. They started advertising on because cartoons used to only be on Saturday morning. There wasn't cartoon channels, mm-hmm. um, and so they started advertising for those with real kind of kiddie car. And we said, why would you be advertising towards kids who won't drive for another ten years? It's exactly what you just said. They're planting seeds Mm, for when these
2: kids are in college. Yeah, they know what they're doing.
1: (laughs) 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 Oh, they they absolutely do. Like um, uh, one of the things that I was looking at for TikTok's uh, ad numbers, um, a lot of these companies like Duncan, they're pointing their ad dollars more at youth than they are at us. Like you're talking about Michael Jackson drinking a Pepsi or something. That is kind of going the way of the dodo. Less people are watching cable TV or, or live TV. More people are watching streaming. More people are on TikTok. More people are on social media. So they're sort of realigning their um, their money. Like they're they're aiming the Death Star of money at uh, TikTok and teens and and people watching streaming services, and it's working. The the CDC put out numbers that said that um, the younger you are, the more fast food you eat, and I. I I was going through college in an era where they were claiming that millennials were immune to commercials that we had, we had been burnt out and and raised on, you know, ignoring commercials and trying to skip through them and hitting the fast forward. So they, they've realigned all their ad dollars and it's working like, (laughs) uh, Joe, to
0: that point and Amanda, do you guys ever think how many more burger and pizza places can we open in this country?
2: right and they're busy yeah. there's a
0: line out the door and It seems they're like on every corner <laughs> i know
2: they're on every yes. corner like yeah it's crazy and
0: these, and these new little spin-offs are coming off and we're thinking how many different ways can you make a cheeseburger
2: Exactly.
0: and people are going to flock in
1: right and it's it's directly tied to these influencers mr beast has his own on youtube mr beast has um a burger chain that is under his name and they're not being made in a brick and mortar what he does is he, like, um, subcontracts it to other burger places who slap the sticker onto their burger, and then they deliver it, you know, um, to their homes. Like, it's it's one of those uh, um, order-on-demand. And that's that's how it's being consumed, too. When that girl in the TikTok video is holding up the Dunkin' Donuts container, most of that is done by um, uh, ordering on your phone, going and having it, like, picked up or dropped off. Yeah, so that's another thing. It's,
2: that, oh, Sorry. It's yeah, just, making yeah just the DoorDash yeah. thing and like things like that. It's like it makes it so easy. You don't even have to leave your house. You can just like order from your phone. It shows up at your door and it's like it just is making people be... even lazier and just it's sad.
0: Gonna say, <laughs> like... We're gonna be like Jabba the huts. We're just gonna be, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. They're just gonna throw food at us with no wrappers or anything. Exactly. <laughs> <swap> it <laughs> so disgusting.
1: <laughs> right. And and there's um University of Rochester did a study. And they followed, you know, uh, hundreds of people. And through this, they found out that two and five-year-olds had seen an average of 830 fast food ads. Oh, my God. And it it just decreases the older you get. Yeah. So so what you said, Todd, it's, it's yeah, you just expose them. You hyper expose them to this. And then when they get older, they're watching TikTok and it's already in their brain. And their favorite person is now holding up a, a Dunkin' Donuts cup or Mr. Beast is telling you to order his burgers. <laughs> and and obviously all this stuff that we eat it will determine your habits for the rest of your life like it'll it'll promote the right type of gut bacteria you you eat nothing but cheese and meat and then your gut bacteria will tell you um you know that's what you you should crave um do you guys want to? Can I can I bore you with uh, the mouse study I was talking about, <laughs> what? where they tried to engineer Never. something that had no gut bacteria? Let's hear it. Can I stop you? <laughs> <laughs> you can try. I mean, I think that's. Um, so have you? ever thought about what would happen if you had no gut bacteria like like somebody went in with a a rooter and just cleaned you out completely well that's, that's what a juice an, cleanse is supposed to do right yeah well that sounds like <laughs> i've done a juice do cleanse speaking look...
2: of that i've done a seven-day one
1: what what is what is the what does that uh try to accomplish
2: a juice cleanse for me it's just i think fast like i've always done like intermittent intermittent fasting um which i think is beneficial for just to give your digestive system and your gut a break. Cause like digesting food is such a energy intensive process. And when you give your body a break from doing that, it can focus on, you know, healing other parts of the body. And, um, but I did, you know, some people <laughs> I've heard of some people doing like water fasts or extended like, um, dry fast, even which I, I haven't done that. And I don't, I don't want to do that, but I did, um, I did a seven day juice cleanse or fast or whatever you want to call it. Um, Basically, through juicing, you just can flood your body with nutrients and vitamins and minerals, and while well, at the same time giving your body and your digestive system a break from um, like the heavy process of digesting food. Um, and honestly, I I went the full seven days, and I the first couple days were pretty hard, but um, I felt really good towards like day five, six, and seven. Like I I honestly had my the like mental focus was really strong. And just the energy that I had and my cravings too. It's like it totally, the only thing I was craving like towards the end of it was like just like an apple or like a big salad or something. It was pretty, it was a cool experience.
0: Let me ask you this though. I always, when someone quits smoking, they're always so cranky that I'm to the (laughs) point where I go buy them a pack of of cigarettes. Did you, at any point, were you being torturous to your loved ones around you? Were you being really, really... uh,
2: no, I mean, the first, no, <laughs> honestly, like the first day, I think I had like a minor headache and I wasn't like, I was maybe a little moody, but honestly, like it was, and I had worked up to that. I had done like a three-day one before, so it wasn't like I just went all into like a seven-day one, but I had done like a three-day one previous to that and then um, I kind of worked into it. But honestly, I was surprised, like I felt really good uh, even five, six, seven days into it.
1: I have... um read a couple of studies about intermittent fasting and fasting in general and the idea that short fasts um will lower uh inflammation Mm -hmm. and help your body you know figure out its its blood sugar control there's a lot to the idea that humans were built to fast like like we are built to have periods yeah. where we just didn't find food not t- we didn't wake up and right. have a we're refrigerator
2: supposed- to open like you know <laughs>
1: right and, and,
0: and we're supposed to be hungry sometimes that is a good yeah. thing
1: <laughs> not right. to Eat
0: every time you get an instant hunger yeah
1: that's never happened to me but yeah i, I trust you on that todd <laughs> Um, no, uh, there's, there's, uh, I mean, like going even back to like creative works, like, um, Hemingway once wrote that like, you should go to an art museum hungry, that it makes you sharper. Like it, it makes you think, you know, like, like it, it, it gives you, I don't know. Yeah. It definitely
2: heightened my, yeah. The mental clarity was really strong. Like I definitely like heightened that part of my body or something. Cause I just felt very focused and yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting.
1: <laughs> I would just be looking at the paintings of fruit, but yeah, that, that. I think it works. Um, so they 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 tried uh, at the University of Pittsburgh to um, completely clean out mice. Like they they wanted um, first it was like can we make them fast to have them be germ free, like literally bacteria free. But eventually they came up with like very scientific uh, methods. They they um, engineered a, a cocktail that would give them their nutrients without them needing. Their guts to have um, any bacteria whatsoever, like any uh, microbiota, is the way they put it. And they engineered thirty mice like this, and they wanted to find out because if if I'm an American and I grow up craving meat and cheese because that's all I've had, and if you are one of Todd's Airbnbers and you grow up uh, eating a ton of fresh vegetables and meat, um, you know which of us, if you completely cleaned us out. And reset our bacteria button, like like we don't have cravings anymore. You know, what if you could choose what type of uh, diet we're used to? Like you could reintroduce bacteria, and you could make us crave different things. That's what they did with these mice. They they um they took microbe-free mice, and they give them different cocktails of microbes from other types of wild mice. So um, these poor mice had basically garden hose stomachs that were just totally clean, and then they would take a carnivorous mice, so mice that have almost entirely only eaten meat uh, from the wild. They took um, herbivore mice, basically vegan mice that, um, that you know, they, they just lived in cornfields, and then they took omnivore mice that had been exposed to both. I'm assuming they got those from New York, where they're eating both pizzas <laughs> and vegetables, whatever they find. <laughs> Um, and they tried to like, f- first it was the bet that, um, each mouse would crave the thing that had been introduced to it. Like the idea that if you are suddenly a vegan mouse and you've never had bacteria in your gut before, that maybe you would crave vegetables more. Um, but they, they found out it was the opposite. It was mice with microbes from herb, uh, herbivore wild rodents chose a diet with higher protein to carbohydrate ratio. Um, and the microbes from carnivores, they went for um, lower protein to carbohydrate ratios. So they were basically just covering for what they lacked. Like like their, their cravings, they had never really had a craving based on the bacteria in their gut before. Suddenly they had cravings and suddenly they were craving whatever was missing from their so sort of a, like... So
0: there is a balance. There's a natural balance to
1: this. That's precisely my point, is if you try to go on a vegan diet, or if you try to go on, you know, a a totally new diet, even if you very slowly nudge yourself into it, it, uh, the the one that they found in the study was the amino acid tryptophan was the absolute key, that once they balanced tryptophan, the mice didn't have those cravings anymore for what it was lacking. So if you can find the right combination of, you know, here's here's the, the vegan diet I want, Here's the best setup I want. Here's the healthiest food I want. And then we just reintroduce tryptophan or we introduce what Amanda was saying, the correct combination of amino acids. So if you ever find yourself craving stuff that is bad for you, maybe you just need to look at your balance a little bit better and figure out what you're lacking and, and reintroduce that.
2: Yeah, that's very interesting. Wow.
0: diets haven't changed much as we like to believe. We've evolved from walking outside and shooting fatty birds out of the sky to driving less than three miles, statistically, for fast food. From feeding our toddlers cured beef and ham to giving them happy meals. The point is, we never outgrew easy mode. We may feel like we've matured toward healthier habits with green options popping up at fast food chains, but statistics and advertising dollars Tell the truth, the younger you are, the more you're targeted by advertisers disguising themselves on social media, and the more fast food you eat. This should be a slam dunk for politicians running on a platform of protecting our children. Except Dunkin' Donuts isn't satisfied with just investing in TikTok influencers. They've also paid hundreds of thousands of dollars into politicians' pockets. Duncan donated to both Donald Trump and Joe Biden in the run-up to the election, AKA political double dipping. Your gut bacteria determines your mood, your health and your lifespan. What you eat on a regular basis will influence your cravings. If you switch to healthier foods, you will eventually crave those healthier foods. You'll feel better, you'll look better, and life will be more flavorful. Or we can just continue eating whatever falls in our laps. It's a hard choice to make every day. Everything is stacked in favor of junk food companies, from branding, to taste engineering, to food proximity. But at the end of the day, it's our choice. And maybe, just maybe, If we all shop exclusively in the produce section of the grocery store, companies will get tired of trying to sell us more american I want to thank Amanda Sick for being on the show. She brought just tons of value, and uh, we're blessed to have her. I really encourage everyone to follow her. Um, She looks the part. Uh, Read her book, Simply Sweet, Simply... Simple plant-based recipes to satisf- satisfy your sweet tooth. And it's plant underscore creations um, dash Instagram. And we're going to put her website, myplantcreations.com. But we're going to have all these links on in a blog post on our website and in our show notes. So thank you so much for Amanda Sick.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.